0: Welcome to Season 3 of Been There, Done That, a Pandemic Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time, filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. All right, it is Monday uh, July 6th, uh, past a holiday, non-holiday, what was that weekend? Um, and it is uh, summertime. Cases are still rising of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We are not only still in the pandemic, we are still in the first phase of the pandemic and it is uh we're winding or rounding the corner on it being seven months um since the first cases uh began in november and um we're back with dante who was our you know, uh, in the last two seasons was interviewee number two. So we used to hear from you like very soon and very quickly. Um, but the very first season, Dante, we heard you talk about traveling and having this like incredible description of what it felt like for you and what you saw to travel from the Bay Area in Northern California back to Washington state. Um, and then deciding to come back earlier and driving like there was an expectation of masks and sanitizer and none of that being there. And then we spoke to you again um, almost a month and a half ago now. And at that time you were still involved in mutual aid work. We started talking about you know, like where, where did this idea of getting involved in mutual aid work really stem from and come from um, in terms of like family dynamics and, and what gets passed on to us in terms of like caring for one another. Um, and we also sort of checked in about the airline industry at that time, about a month and a half ago, saying that they were going to mandate masks and um, mandate, you know, particular protocols, when in reality just last week we have the major airline saying we are no longer going to leave the middle seat empty um, so that there's some, you know, distance between passengers. No, full capacity. So again, still in phase one, numbers of contractions and deaths skyrocketing um, and you know, not that, Dante, you can only talk about the airline industry. <laughs> that, is not, that is not your purpose in being involved in this interview. Um, but also, since we last spoke, we have had, um, you know, political uprisings happening all across the country and all across the world. And um, things have started to open up. And so there's more travel, there's more socializing indoors and in closed spaces. Um, And we now have consistent for over a month, over 50 days of everyday organizing and action in the streets, particularly um, in New York, Minneapolis, um, and now really Arizona, um, because there have been several uh, murders and um, missing people, black and brown folks, state-sanctioned murders happening in Arizona. So lots of things happening. So this is what we want to talk about today with you, Dante. Mutual aid work. How's it going? What exactly are the bounds of mutual aid work? Is it only food? Is it only, uh, you know, sort of essentials? Have you been traveling? Um, uh, What's that been like? We also spoke to you about what it's like to be in uh, the living and work space with another person and you have a loft, so there are literally no rooms. There is the room. Um, And then finally, you have been on sabbatical, as have I, so what's it like to be on sabbatical during a pandemic and a political uprising? So those are the topics that we're going to cover with you. You can go in any order you want. I will now be quiet. Dante, the mic is yours.
1: Well, thank you, Felicia, for inviting me on and uh, sharing this space and having these conversations. Um, I always enjoy or have enjoyed the conversations and where they go. And I Honestly, each time we jump on, it feels like a lot has happened. It feels like things have really moved. And where where I thought I would be (laughs) in this month is not where I thought I
0: would be. Where did you think you were going to be? Let's just go there when we last yeah. spoke there weren't these political uprisings yet we we knew about ahmaud Aubrey, yeah. um and we didn't yeah. we hadn't known about george floyd or breonna taylor yeah. or any other name um including uh, a long list of uh black and brown trans women who've also been yeah. murdered and discovered yeah. during this time so you know but where did you think you were gonna be like if you could yeah. travel back oh, to yeah. the dante of the, when we last spoke which is somewhere near you know like april mid-may like yeah. What, what were you thinking was going to be happening right about now?
1: Yeah. Well, this, this was the period, um, the first this year was the year where I was going to really take some time for myself and treat my own health as part of uh, a larger project, um, part of my own contributions uh, to the community. And that quickly was challenged when uh, the pandemic broke out and my involvement with mutual aid work. And so, When we last spoke, the idea was to double back down, was to turn back towards some of the self-care, really uh, lean into some of the the spaciousness uh, for my own self as I navigate a transition of turning thirty, of stepping back from a project that I helped build for the last five years. And you're right, a lot has happened and found myself um, watching it unfold through the news. Um, Initially, it was just kind of... uh, a tension point for my own self of uh, scrolling through the news, noticing, seeing these things starting to happen, feeling the energy. I think we all felt it. Um, The energy just kind of building up that this is fucked up, that this, how is this even happening? For me, I think some of the biggest signals was watching different communities that I had never expected to be vocal, um, including some of my own relatives um, who are usually really conservative and also other odd places. Like I, I lurk on a place called Reddit, which has historically been a a, a pretty bastion of unsavory uh, ideas and opinions and perspectives, but to watch that place flooded for weeks on end as some of the top posts and top conversations around black lives and outrage and frustration and reckoning um, was incredible and striking. And it was very clear that this is another movement moment, and especially as people turned out into the streets. Um, And so what is it to say is, what was I expected to do and versus what what was actually unfolding around me became like, ah, am I, who am I to at this point keep my head down and and go outside and sit outside and talk to therapists and talk to friends and do healing work and read in the midst of all of this. Um, So it's
0: been, I think the was, yeah. Wait, wait. What would be so wrong with that if you went outside, sat in the garden, spoke to your therapist, did some personal healing work in the midst of this political uprising happening all over the place, what what opinion would you have had of of yourself? Like, I don't I don't understand why why you couldn't have done that.
1: Yeah. we were speaking. Yeah, for me. And, and you're speaking right to the reason why I'm wanting, I was really hoping to step back a little bit this year is my identity has been how I've shown up to movements for the last five years. I helped build a worker cooperative that was dedicated to supporting progressive projects. Um, helping them tell their stories, helping them get their communications out there. And that's how I've shown up. That's been my identity. And after stepping back from that organization and turning 30, I'm asking myself, who actually am I? Who am I more than my work? Um, because that's, mainly what my ego is attached to. And I felt that so strongly in the midst of, of these uprisings of, holy crap, there is work to be done right now. And I could totally throw up, show up and, and throw down with folks. And at the same time, I am wrecked. I am burnt. I am, you know, uncomfortable with myself at this point and not showing up in the ways that I want to. So it, for me, it was, it was really... I wanted the word that's coming up to mind. I don't think it's the right word. It's torturous. It's just feeling pulled in, in two different directions where my what was logical and made sense and, and where my ego and, and pain and, and emotions felt were one thing. And the deeper, quieter self um, wanted to also say something that was a little bit different, which included sitting and being still and, and sleeping.
0: It's such a, such a hard um, time right now to really sort of define for ourselves what does mutual aid uh, and community sort of uh, responsibility and reciprocity, you know, look like, Um, whereby if you see your neighbor across the street from you is hurting and needs help, you know, maybe they're mowing their lawn and there's, you see them struggling. Do you sit there and watch them struggle or do you go across the street or sort of, you know, communicate with them somehow? Like, Hey, would you like some help? And, do you let them actually have a response? You know what I mean? Like, you know how there are those people and maybe you've been that person before where you just go up to the person who's struggling to mow their lawn and you say, I got it. And you kind of push them off to the side and you just take over for them. And sometimes that is met with a, oh, thank you. Like I didn't want to ask and, and I feel bad about asking, but thank you for just doing it. And sometimes it's met with, you know, I'm struggling with it, but me struggling with it is part of what I want to do right now. And I didn't ask you to come over here and help me. Mm. And don't go someplace that you're not invited. Mm. How about you go back to your little stoop and let mm. me do my thing and you not judge me and you not determine that I need your help. And then you've got this whole other thing where it's like, well, how else can we be helpful? Should we be playing music for that neighbor and sort of cheerleading them? Like, you've got this grass. You're going to cut this grass. Like, how do you help? And we're not talking about the neighbor who's having a challenging time cutting their grass. We're actually talking about the neighbor who's across the street, who is being, you know, handcuffed and and being suffocated in front of us at the hands of the police. And so, do you just sit there and do nothing like we're talking about very different things you can't compare mowing the lawn with what's been happening out here with the state sanctioned violence that we've seen so i guess my question is um is this when you yeah. were you know participating in things did anybody ask you for help were you asked to help
1: interestingly i think that was the only times that i did help uh, very when candidly yeah. Yes, I was uncomfortable going uh I think I shared it in one of the previous podcasts that my I have some relatives, including an uncle who's eighty-four, who visits yeah. this apartment um three times a week and is stubborn about that and may or may not wear a mask. And so the, I was <laughs> right. actually I found myself to be very candid when I showed up to some of the put I actually felt myself very uncomfortable, like having a kind of like a little panic inside of my own self as I'm navigating. It was overwhelming. And so the only times that I really did show up in this last little bit was mainly in support roles, helping pick people up, helping drop people off. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, mainly moving in in that kind of a a space. And, you know, my mind was a swirl. Oh my gosh, this thing could happen. This thing could happen. You know, there's a website Systemicracism.com or .org is up for sale right now. Like, why the fuck do we not own that one right now? <laughs> and like, you know, why are we doing things? There's so much to do. And you're right. I think you're absolutely right about, you know, and, and a bit about that metaphor. And I think it's my own personal journey, you know, as I'm reckoning with some of my own um, worn edges, some of my own unhealthy behaviors. Um, is, it, is it something that I um, will be open to having other people step yeah. in and intervene? And it mm-hmm. and pushed me along, or is it my own journey kind of thing? And yeah. I'm, candidly, from my work standpoint, it was to jump in and throw down. Yeah. And I, I'm opening, and I appreciate you kind of asking this question, because I'm realizing that I think, yes, in one way, I was, I slowed, I was taking action when asked, and I'm finding upon my own self um, that I have my own journey. And um, sometimes it does include not having a, a clear straight line of, of of navigating things. Sometimes I do find myself just clicking for an entire day, and yeah. my partner is watching me as it's happening, and could intervene. Yeah, and it's my journey at the same time too. Yeah,
0: I yeah. mean, I think I think what's um, what's also sort of becoming revealed during this time is also just like how much work and time this um, sort of like fight for justice actually takes. You know, um, when I was an undergrad in uh, the mid to late 90s, um, we were trying to hold on to affirmative action in the UCs. Mm -hmm. Um, We lost. And then we tried to get domestic partnership recognized in the UCs for faculty uh, and staff and grad students, knowing that if we could get that, we could possibly get more for then students. Um, and... It took years, 25 years later, for now the UCs to overturn their decision to get rid of affirmative action. It took another 15 years before um, same sex marriage would be recognized federally across the country. And the need then for the domestic partnership benefits, you know, is still there for folks who don't want to get married. Um, and don't want to go that route of, of yeah. being a part of that institution. And so I'm proud of, of all of that work. But there was a moment where I stepped away from it. I didn't work on trying to repeal the UC's decision to get rid of affirmative action after it was you know, done and over and I graduated. I never worked on that again. Um, I never worked on domestic partnership. I didn't even work on same-sex marriage after I left campus um, to do that organizing. I then went into labor and education yeah. and other kinds of, of organizing because it turns out there are many issues that need help. And there are many communities that need help and that that help and that empowerment looks different depending on the issue and depending on who's involved. And now I am in a moment where I don't know uh, enough about this whole other part of myself, which is about being disabled. And so I'm, I'm in a moment of like going deep, trying to learn my own, my own other community history of, um, disability justice movement work and crip theory and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a, a very interesting moment where disability and ableism is like super apparent, um, And visible. Um, And so how do we, how do we lean into all those kinds of things? But I was struck by this one time, Dante, I'll tell you, tell you a quick story. And and then I want to come back to you. I was in my therapist's office. And this is at the height of knowing, learning, and seeing children be separated from their parents um, at the border and being put in cages. This is at the height of that. And I, I was so upset and so enraged and was having a hard time sleeping, breathing, eating, everything. And I'm in therapy and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, why am I even here for an hour talking to you when I should be like driving down to the border and like doing whatever it takes to just like get kids out of those cages and take, I should be trying to figure out how to be a foster parent. I should be figuring out like, I, you know, I was, and I was just going off for an hour and a half about like how this was a waste of time. And my therapist said, if those children, you know, cause I was, I was saying like, I have, I have trust issues. Okay. I have, you know, separation anxiety. I have like all these issues Um, From how, you know, what I experienced growing up. And these kids are getting that by a million. And so that's why I was so invested. I was like, I know what these kids are going through. I know about these abandonment issues, and they're only gonna get worse, and they're gonna lead to drug and alcohol addiction and all these different things and horrible relationships. I know what these kids are gonna be like. And so my therapist used that to my advantage and said to me, if those children grew up and became adults, and they were in therapy, would you say to them, what a waste of time? Why are you in therapy? You of all people should be out there doing something different and not trying to heal. And I was like, no, I guess you're right. Like they should, they should get to heal. And she was like, so when is it ever your turn? And that has been the mantra really of Mm -hmm. the last two years of my therapy Mm -hmm. journey. When is it ever me? When is the campaign ever to save me? When is the boundary and the wake up at three in the morning or stay awake, you know, and work extra hard for me. So Dante, where are you? Do you imagine in the pecking order of priorities? Like, are you even in the top five? Yeah.
1: Working on it, working on it. And like I shared, this, this is a particular year to, to, to turn towards oneself. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot, a lot at stake this year, and there's a lot going on.
0: What do you think that's about? Like, why, yeah. why aren't you in the top five?
1: Yeah. Um, golly, that's a good question. I think it's, it's, it's deep it's, it's something that's been with me for a long time. Um, it's, it's part of my identity. It's, it is like buried in there. I'm sure it has some like middle school, maybe even younger, maybe (laughs) high school kind of like, you know, imprint pathology. I don't know. I it's, it's something, you know, it's part of my identity. It's where I find sources of joys is throwing down in relationships with other people. Like it's building things together that I find my, I come alive. Um, and it's so much of my identity. Um, and I was feel it, like, yeah.
0: I'll I was go gonna it. say, was it, was it different for you to get into mutual aid work? Like I, I know when you were, yeah, when you were, yeah. when you were into yes. the mutual aid work, like it, it felt like, huh, well that's a, new, that's a new way of organizing. Did that feel different?
1: You know, I think for me, the, jumping into mutual aid work was actually one of the first times, a lot of the organizing that I've done has been really local and has been involved with people that I've known and have like mm-hmm. personal relationships with. Mm-hmm. And um, when this pandemic really struck out, it was some of the first time where I started organizing online across people that I'd never met. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And work with people, I didn't even see their faces. We're just chatting and, mm-hmm. and, and setting things up. Um, so it really was a kind of a, a, a new journey for me in terms of organizing um, that I was really intrigued by. But I, I will say, I think for me, at least just to kind of loop back to this initial, what you both offered as a reflection of this tension between one's own personal healing and um, what's at stake at the larger stage, I really, I think for, and even stepping back into this moment, I feel like one of the things that I'm really trying to hold this paradox is that I think right now we've lived in such a charged environment, it does feel like the stakes are either or. And I know that in fact, some of our organizing models are about creating this either or dynamic. Yeah. And I believe that it's powerful for moving people and leaning on notions of paradox and holding up paradox. We need a bit of both. Like we need to be able to hold the importance of personal work in relationship to getting out on the streets, to organizing together. Yeah, Um, And it's those things in relationship and not necessarily either or um, where we can really flourish and, and find ways to move forward that otherwise may not be there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what's super interesting about this time is that it feels so incredibly high stakes and it also feels like timing is everything, right? And so if, if things are needing to happen right now in order to prevent people from being harmed or being put in harm's way or dying, it feels very dire. It feels like we have to do think something right now. There is no time to rest. There is no time okay. to, you know, say, I'll be back in a little bit, you know, we can work on this tomorrow. Whether you're a medical professional, You're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a scientist right now trying to save people's lives, trying to find a vaccine or a cure, or whether you're an organizer right now, you know, like, um, or whether you're doing mutual aid or whether you're just an essential worker who's just trying to make sure like food is moving and coming around. I mean, I I think what I find most challenging about this moment is how things don't seem on the surface to look the same anymore. So we've got this like illusion of normalcy. Like I have been able to get toilet paper. I have been able to buy sanitizer. What I find super interesting is that as soon as all the businesses were allowed to be open, oh look, all the masks are here now and for free. Nobody has to make them at home anymore. Now a business will give it to you for free. Oh look, those huge bottles of hand sanitizer that nobody could buy anymore, they're here now. And so things that used to seem scarce and timely and um, crisis, it doesn't feel like we're in that anymore. And the news isn't reporting the daily crisis and reporting of, of what the numbers are the same way that it was before. And so things feel a little bit different. And even the news isn't covering the protests Happening anymore. So we don't see that as being, you know, this like charged moment where we have to do something. And I feel like if we didn't see momentum building in one way or another, either momentum for scarcity or momentum for harm, we wouldn't feel this like need to jump in. So now we're kind of in a like, you know, rest moment. I don't know. But when I think back Mm -hmm. to like any films or stories, Mm -hmm. um, fiction or nonfiction about battles, about um, journeys, both battles and journeys with groups of people have the same part in a story. And that is that moment where people are like, okay, we need to rest. Who's going to stay up tonight to like be on guard while the rest of us sleep? And then we'll rotate, right? There's like a rotation in all of these like historical, either nonfiction or just everyday fiction stories. There's always this point in a battle or in a journey scene where folks have to rest and the rotation begins. And I have been struck by that missing in the story that I tell myself about organizing, right? Like maybe it's my time to rest, and somebody else is standing guard. And then we move together again. And, and I, I, I don't know, I, I just, I think that there's something there that the stories that we tell ourselves about how this movement work goes, you never hear the story about when Martin Luther King rested. You never hear the story about, you know, when, when some other like big, amazing, you know, like leader took a break for a little bit, you know, like I'm sure they did. But you don't hear about that part of the story, and and so we try and follow, yeah. you know, what we've been told and what we see as the models, and the models don't include parts about resting. No, Is that maybe part all. of the problem? Oh, are we absolutely. just are we, oh, are we? Are we following a blueprint that maybe isn't complete?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's not at hand, in order to, uh, I, you know, just speaking from my own own experience, um, I think there's been a lot of language around like burnout and like the 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 wariness of burnout. But also, then, what is that like? What does how? I think, yeah, to the being in community to to feel like you know I can take a rest because there are other people. Um, I think that's been something that I've been really turning towards. And for me, that's kind of what's allowed me a little bit in this moment to rest because I mentioned earlier, I've, you know, as this is happening, as these uprisings are happening, I'm getting text messages and having conversations with people that I've never had a political conversation with. These are my cousins. My, you know, I'm, I'm one, my dad is one of 12. And so there's a lot of us and I'm getting cousins hitting me up, asking me what's going on. What's the update on various protests I'm talking to my aunties and other people who are on social media making memes and other things that I've never seen before. And it's astounding. And I'm talking to other organizers where you know, we're like, wow, there's there so many new faces right now. There's so many people who are stepping up and, and to know that, to see that, that there are other people taking uh, action and guard, um, and that's I think actually is what it's allowing me to feel some spaciousness to rest, to be able to look up and be amazed by what how other people are showing up.
0: Um, what does it what does it mean to you? Like how do you interpret? Yeah when uh, a cousin or an auntie like reaches out to you and says, hey Dante, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? What do you know about that? Is there anything I can do? Like what exactly are they saying or asking and how how do you interpret those moments? Like I get that you're saying like those are moments that make me feel very hopeful and like something is possible to change, but like on a very personal level, like how does that make you feel about your work in relation to your family?
1: It's, I grew up as one of the oddball kids, as somebody who was, you know, for everyone in the, on my Filipino side, you know, I'm like the organic one, the, the, the one with the beard, the one that, that didn't go to school right away. Um, and it's actually really meaningful. And, and also at the same time, it's like, everyone's on their own freaking thing. Like, I don't know. There's part of me that's like. You know, I'm really excited to have these conversations, and also I know that like, um, they're having these conversations with other people and stuff like that, and that they are, um, figuring it out for themselves. Slash, already, I don't know. I, I, I part of me, like, you know, is like, oh, I don't know, feels kind of like, uh, a sense of like, yeah. I don't know if it's like, I told you so, but no, not not even along those lines, but just kind of like, you know, I'm happy to have these conversations, but also I'm like, it's not even about me kind of thing. It's like, they like to see where my cousins are at and the conversations and they're even doing their own little organizing and going to events and and checking people, you know, working with other folks. And I, that just makes me glow inside. It just makes me feel um, like, yeah, I don't know, looking forward to moments where we can actually connect more and, and and be in relationship, but also just knowing that, you know, stepping back, it's not as linear, like just because I don't know, there's something about the messenger about who's the messenger in these stories. And I know, I think I've always kind of been somebody who has held down a certain political identity and perspective. And, you know, I think there's always a challenge and issue of how do we move people within our own families and have those kinds of conversations. There's always been racial tensions in my family, you know, put it very candidly. Um, And, to see movement, to see, to see change within, within a family that has had um, those contours. Um, it's, it's, it's more than I expected, kind of thing. Or it's something of like, it, that there's something bigger going on than just you know the small conversations that we've had in the past and stuff like that. Um, and that's what's really moving, um, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I super appreciate you, you yeah. know, sharing that. I think, I think more often than not, um, every family, even black families around the country have those conversations or you walk by that conversation that maybe you weren't a part of and you weren't even supposed to hear. And you're like, was that some homophobic? Was that some misogynistic? Isn't this some racist? Like we all have a moment whether we recognize it or not, or how deeply we decide to do something about it or not, right? Like whether it's that family gathering and you have that moment, that fleeting thought of, yeah. why are all the men sitting around while all the women are in the kitchen cleaning up? Or, or you're in a moment and you said, did uncle so-and-so just say what? You know, like you have these little moments and again, either you say something, you say it lightly because the rest of the family is, no, 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 don't ruin this moment, don't ruin this moment. Or, or you go there or you do nothing or you're known as the weirdo with the beard, who's kind of hippie crunchy granola E or you're the political one or you're the radical one or you're that one. Right. And, and kind of growing up, it always feels like you stick out like a sore thumb, but as you get older, I'm starting to get a sense that what's happening is we're just finding our groove and just finding our place in the family and people then know who to go to and who to ask like you're then the person who like holds that space. You could you could be a gardener. You could be like a really yeah. great, amazing green thumb. Yeah. And if someone all of a sudden got into gardening, oh, I know who I'm going to call. I'm going to call Cousin Dante. They're going to know, right? Yeah. And so you're yeah. just known in this other way, shape or form. Um, and it's yeah. it's always so interesting when politics or political change comes into the family and either breaks it apart or eventually brings it together. But it's just like the organizing I was talking about. It takes years. It takes decades. And sometimes it's after you stop beating the drum at home That all of a sudden they remember that song that you were playing on the drum. And when they hear it someplace else, they're like, Hey, remember that song you used to play when you were younger and you stopped playing it? Like, could you teach me it? Like all of a sudden, it's like a very different shift. And so my question to you is, we have been sort of checking in on family, having family meetings or being stuck together in houses as family during this COVID time. What, what do you think would have happened if George Floyd, Brianna Taylor and so on and all these other, you know, beautiful people had yeah. died and we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. How much is the pandemic affecting the conversations, the family conversations and the sort of like move for this moment where many people heard the story or saw the videos themselves because there was nothing else that we were doing. Like what's the influence there? Because I've asked people in the past, do you think more people would be out Mm. in the streets if we weren't in a pandemic? If colleges were in session, if people were like not fearful of going out with masks? And I actually don't know if the numbers would go up. I think that there's something to being, you know, stuck in quarantined and having to really turn to one another that actually made the numbers what they are. What do you think the connection is between the many pandemics at once?
1: Yeah, that I'm, I'm very curious to also see like, that's something where I'm super geeky and would love to see like a, if someone ever like does a dissection or a kind of thing, because like I shared early on, like, this was just, it was unavoidable. It, your your newsfeed, even other places, watering holes like Reddit, to just see this, this continuous flow of, of pain and other things like that, and then the response that happened from it. Um, and I think, yeah, it, in terms of how communications work, I think there definitely was an overwhelm of pandemic information of the coronavirus being shared and talked about. I think there was a bit of exhaustion and also, um, as uh, in the face of that exhaustion, um, we were watching people on the, in conservatives or far-right folks begin to take to, like, they had actions and they were organizing and they were pushing a message that was very much this. And in the backdrop, a new story began to emerge or present itself, which was, like, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of these, like, far-right-wing takeovers of state houses and things like that, there's some other more fucked-up shit going on. And I think that in some ways opened up or the people's exhaustion with the pandemic, the lack of an organizing direction for us to move in, this became something that was more than meaningful, um, that was worthy of, of our attention and talking about in discussions. And I know at least for my cousins who, who large identities are spent, especially during the pandemic scroll, scrolling, that this was unavoidable and that there were conversations to be had. And I got to have those, some of those conversations about how racism has shown up in our lives and to compare and contrast. Even with some of my older aunties.
0: Yeah, because- who, it, it, Or like
1: wanted to talk Like, who is this George Floyd person? Let's yeah. like actually wanting to talk <laughs> yes. about it. Yes, and, and therefore like
0: inviting you. It. Yes. Inviting you yeah. and asking you for, yeah. for help. And you know what's interesting is that in the kind of organizing spaces that you and I have shared space or that we know about from one another, right? Like a lot of these things then happen as like stickers, wheat paste, billboards, murals, um, things that are outside and visible, you know, like marches, rallies, things like that. And we're talking about people who didn't go to marches and rallies in the past, who don't look at these kinds of billboards. All of a sudden, finding out this information, because what they are looking at, their phones, the news, um, consuming information at home, and and a lot of it all at once, is where it all was. Like, so much of what was happening in terms of how we got people out on the street was because of the online organizing that was happening. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Online organizing is you loving someone without having to know them. You trusting someone without ever having to meet them. And online organizing happens in a particular way where you just have to go with trust and hope and you show up and you bring what you've got and, and then you work. But in-person organizing usually requires a lot more that is, you know, really built on a kind of trust that may go back by years versus the online organizing where like, I don't know, somebody said that they're having an event five minutes ago, I guess I should go. So I, I, I guess one of the things yeah. that is also happening during this time is that, you know, the police are doing this, they're met with this resistance and the resistance is met with resistance to the resistance. So we see more and more, um, strangers, individuals, runoffs, not in large groups necessarily yet, um, going out and, and calling the police on folks, Um, being videotaped as they stop and see a neighbor that they've just never met and they see them painting Black Lives Matter on their own property Mm -hmm. and like, you know, you're going to get in trouble for this. We're going to call the police on this. Or recently, just um, on the 4th of July, this weekend on Saturday, this white couple decided in California, we're going to go with black paint and we're going to cover up and paint over the words Black Lives Matter that have been painted on the asphalt in the street. So we have this response to the response to the response. And um, what do you think is happening there? What do you think is happening with like these older middle-aged white men and women who are, you know, being videotaped because they are doing things uh, that are their response to the response to the response Like, what do you think is going to happen there? What do you think is going to continue to transpire there with the resistance to the Black Lives Matter movement and movements to defund police and movements to get rid of harm?
1: I'm nervous. I honestly, because in a lot of ways, like some of these people are power holders, you know, Mm -hmm. They they hold power in this system. And my eye, aside from the, from the, the reactionary, the smaller, like there are certainly the smaller reaction, interpersonal reactionary pieces that we do capture on video. And I think that is powerful in terms of mobilizing and helping affirm what has already been known, but now have documentation of the racism that is the underbelly of this society. And at the same time, I'm really like, I'm very curious, like stepping back at like I don't know, I've been watching the, the Chop Chaz. I don't know if you've been following that in the Seattle, the autonomous zone. No, Have no, I, I, know, I know that there's, the, know okay, that there's yeah, the autonomous
0: yeah, zone. Yeah, I don't know that we've yeah. captured it on this podcast. So do me a favor. Yeah. I was gonna ask if anyone of, has talked to it about it, yeah. Yeah, no, so can you please give us a brief overview? What, what is happening, what has been happening and what's yeah. the state of it now? Yeah, all
1: right, candidly, I grew up in Seattle. I moved out right before this pandemic. So I actually haven't been on the ground Um, and been to any of the protests that led up to or even visited the Seattle or Capitol Hill, um, what was initially known as Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone to Capitol Hill, I believe, ongoing protest. Um, But what it was, was a space taken over outside of a police precinct. I hope I might be a little bit Muted or I think just said unstable internet connection, but let me know if I'm frozen. Uh, but nonetheless, You're was, good. A, uh, Keep going. was a space that um, was taken over by people as uh, in response to protesting and the larger outpouring of people and police actually uh, seceding or leaving behind their police station. And there was a lot of belief that um, it was kind of a, a, a honeypot um, for folks to try to, to leave the precinct and that um, people might try and burn it down or completely uh, tear through it. Um, In fact, there's rumors that even some of the doors were unlocked and other things like that. Um, And so instead of uh, burning the precinct down, um, people actually decided to, and I'm not sure exactly how it was decided, but somehow people decided to quote unquote occupy. Um, And because um, yeah, and this is where I'm not exactly sure how it unfolded, but people were there's been an unfolding and people are like, all right, we don't necessarily. say this isn't quite an occupation. This is an ongoing protest. Let's keep our, eye, our eyes on the messaging and pieces like that. Uh, but unfortunately, the, and this is kind of bring it back towards this piece about what is the response and the response to the response. And I think we're actually in it right now. I think what sometimes happens is that we're used to protesting and trying to like build momentum. And as people are pointing out into the streets, um, we might have one specific tactic for trying to move things forward, but we have to realize that this is a shifting landscape, that things are... Um, not as stagnant. And so in this case, you know, the police actually surprisingly like stepped away and, and vacated this space and left open this, this area that now became known as the, um, as the CHOP. Um, and with that though, other things began to emerge. Does other chop, began is to CHOP, emerge. is
0: the CHOP an yes, acronym? Sorry.
1: Yes. It's the Capitol Hill um, ongoing protest. It was the updated name to CHAZ and intention of of clarifying this is an ongoing protest. We're not here to occupy things.
0: Okay, so it was called CHAZ before and what was that
1: acronym? Uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And they moved it to CHOP. The ongoing protest. There were essentially, and then again, this was already at the response to the response. People were like, oh, you're going to call it the CHAZ, the autonomous zone? Oh, you're autonomous from this? So you don't want any of our services? Oh, you're your own sovereign state or whatever? We don't have to, like, that then be unfolded. And so there was a reorientation of this is an ongoing protest. There are specific demands that we're trying to meet um, and things like that. Uh, but again- so- yeah, Yeah. no, but yeah. What's,
0: super, what's super interesting, right, yeah. is that you have different police tactics used yes. in different cities. Yes. And I've seen different police tactics yeah. used in, in yeah. different scenarios, right? Like when you're trying to occupy an intersection and the cops close down the intersection for you and close off the next two blocks on all sides of you, like nobody even knows that you took over the intersection. Nobody can even get in to do anything yeah. in that intersection, right? Yeah. So sometimes the police's best example of de escalating and yet still being in power is to give you free reign and see what you do. And and yeah. and so what you're describing in Seattle is is the honeypot, but also is like the setup. Like you don't yeah. want police, fine we are leaving and we're going to leave you the whole building to see what you do with a whole building that has everything that you might need in it yourself. And to leave that alone, to leave that space alone and show what an alternative space could look like without the police is calling their bluff. And so all these other moments where you have protesters out in the streets and the police then engage in a way to push them back and then show how abusive and how, you know, intense, they can be with people who are doing nothing, only help to the side to show that the police were so out of control. And so, you know, but you look at Fox News, and they're showing the same news clip, and they're saying, see, the protesters are so out of control, right? Like so. So there's all these different things happening. But if you never, quote, if no one ever went out of control, that's not the story. So what is the story that's being told about Chop or Chaz? Because as far as I know, the story that is isn't that is being told about it is the absence of it. Like there are no stories that really talk about Chaz or Chop even really? existing. And I, I wonder if yeah. the reason why there's no real stories about that is because, well, nothing happened there. There was no conflict. There's nothing to see.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, this is, this is actually really surprising that, that it hasn't been on your news radar um, at all. Wow, okay. That
0: like it happened? Yeah. But yeah. like not that it's still around and not that it's still yeah. going on or not any response for it. Yeah. I mean, because well, there, a- therein lies the answer. That's the answer. Why would we want the answer? The answer doesn't bring us news. And
1: yeah. And well, that's for, I think that's, and I don't wanna, I, it's hard for me to speak on it because again, I wasn't in the space itself. But yeah. what optically from outside, is exactly that. The police called the bluff and said, all right, you, you know, you all want this space. We're going to see this space. We'll give, you know, but they went further. They're like, well, we're not even going to uh, service anybody uh, services if they call nine one one in this greater vicinity. So a large portion of Capitol Hill, even outside of this uh, area where the ongoing protest was happening, um, weren't able to call on the police. Um, for robberies for other things and essentially it became this like stewing pot of perspectives and it quickly um, as people asked so what are you going to do with this space um it turned first it had its phase of it becoming like a festival where arts poured in and music and it kind of became like a destination a weekend destination visit Mm -hmm. for a lot of folks there was an attempt to really kind of like turn back towards what the actual intention and what are the actual demands and really unfortunate um but it was the lack of um i don't know if to say lack of but nonetheless what ended up happening is the place actually became um a number of people died there are a number of shootings um there are a number of robberies uh some buildings were attempted to be burned down and it really began to look like people were kind of as well as uh, agitators and other people coming into this space, it just became this contentious space. And unfortunately, I believe three to four people have died. Uh, most most recently, um, there was one last protest, not in the space itself, but of, yeah, uh,
0: on the freeway. Uh, yeah, on the freeway,
1: exactly. Yeah, and just
0: and weekend, and yeah. and somebody who who had already you know made verbal you know. Uh, calls that they wanted to harm somebody and the police already had been warned by folks, you know, like, Hey, this person in this car has been making threats um, might want to pay attention to that. That didn't happen. Person goes yeah. on, uh, on a freeway exit in the opposite direction intentionally. And, um, you know, uh, I believe her name was Samantha. Um, and yeah. she, she died on scene. And so we have various folks who have now, um been like you said in in harm's way not necessarily in the space but as a response to the response to the response so do you think then how is how is the story of Chaz or chop going to be uh concluded is was it a good thing was it a bad thing what what wasn't planned for how did it go sideways yeah
1: it's hard for me to speak on this. It, I, I'm, you know, I, because again, like I think there's layers to it, like from the national perspective versus the, the local perspective. I'm, I'm really curious, you know, um, I know there's, you know, it's hard. There's critique on all sides, essentially. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's what's, that's what I largely seen. There's, there's critiques from folks in leftist progressive spaces of the, the space itself and its relationship to leadership and demands and what the actual intention is and who's being centered in the decisions and, um, how decisions are even being made and those kinds of pieces. And on the other side, there's a lot of critique about, look at this you know, lawless space and uh, the hypocrisy and look what's happening. More you know, Black folks have actually died in the last few days in that space than in a larger period or other things like that. And you say you don't want police and now look what happens and all of this stuff that, that again, yeah. the response to the response and who has the voice and, you know, um, that's what I'm really scared about is this, this continued backlash. You're right, there's going to be a number of pieces that are documented of, of folks getting caught up in their own racism and that being like video, but I think there's also the communication channels and I we just continue to be in a place where truth is, is out the door at this point. We are, are floating in, in this new post-truth and we've probably been in this space for a long time, but more so than now than ever, we are in this very relative... Uh, space where I'm right now, one of the other things that I'm watching is watching more of my, like I went to school at the Evergreen State College, which is a bit of a hippie school Mm -hmm. Um, and watching people who otherwise like a lot of people in this like festival kind of like new agey space, like getting pulled into the Trump orbit, getting pulled into all these odd conspiracy theories and other things like that. People who were organizing that I knew in college organizing progressive projects are now like promoting all these like how do you even know where to begin on some of these things? But this whole like QAnon and like conspiracy deep state stuff and just how far we've moved from a shared understanding or the delivery of information um, that the response to the response of all these things, it's concerning. I feel like we're going to continue to blow out into this more fractured, more fear driven space right now. Um, and lose sight of some of these demands i don't know that's what i'm like i don't know
0: well that just got super uh, dark real fast um but i but i hear you you know like i the communications piece yeah yeah i'm i'm totally i totally hear you and i'm totally worried about it as well you know like i have never wanted to be someone who's who thinks that all the answers come from the government and and yet you know, I do like, I I don't know. This is like a moment of like the government should be held responsible, you know, like, but are they ever, have they ever like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, it. Yeah. and I think that that's all by design. I think yeah. all of the things that we are unearthing right now and, and all the things that have become unstable and unreliable are all by design. And that mm. is the bigger story that I'm yeah. probably the most afraid of. Like somebody intentionally wanted wanted and and will thrive in this chaos and i don't think that we know yet who that is yet i don't think that we have we have gotten um enough information yet to really see the forest through the trees on this um and that i think is the thing that i'm most afraid of like i i startle easily i was just in the garage working out Mm -hmm. and my partner comes around the corner and and i should have been able to see her but for some reason i didn't see her at the corner of my eye and so i turn and i go ah and i like scream and she's like i was right here like i don't understand and it's like that's the thing that startles me the thing that i didn't see coming The thing that I didn't know was like right there. And um, I have a feeling that that's what we're experiencing right now. There's something that is right there and it finally will move soon. It'll be like, oh shit, that's what this was all about. So here's my last Mm -hmm. question to you for this season. This season was about, you know, uh, trying to sum up what's been happening so far. So um, I know you're not necessarily yeah. a TV show and a movie no. watcher, and you're not necessarily, um, you know, a book reader. What, what have you been consuming a lot of lately? Anything?
1: You know what? I will say that uh, I, me and Sally are proudly working on our ability to binge watch. We just watched the second season of Insecure. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. So you're working on the binge watching. Okay. So let me, let me, let me harness that for a moment. So let's say there is a binge worthy television show about you and Celia during this time. Um, What is it called? And as you know, on Netflix, when you kind of scroll through the shows, it, it shows you a picture and then it even starts to move now, but mostly it's just a picture. Okay. So what's the name of the binge worthy show and what is it called? And what is the image that goes with it to sort of, you know, give us some sense of what the story is about.
1: For, for Sally and I? For yes. our own little...
0: Yes. And it's just about this time yeah. of the pandemic, but everything that's gone on so far. Yeah. Wow.
1: I, okay, it's a bit of a surrealist picture, but I imagine the, um, the title of it might be like The Eye of the Storm and something along those lines and i'm imagining us actually like sitting out on like taking some of the items that like the the desktop the the face mask the kind of things that have been part of our lives recently including like one of the things has been just trying to get outside because i think that's the like amidst being stuck indoors for days on end and not leaving that some of the respite has been like being outside so being like literally on the roof of this house with like a pile of sand up there a laptop some like bags of chips, some, a mask on kind of thing, and something like the Eye of the Storm. Because um, it has been just a bit of chaos over here, and in the middle of it all, we're doing okay
0: i love the idea of you being indoors and yet outdoors at the same time like you're literally on doors i guess is what that would be called right you're not in and you're not out you're on top of the building trying yes. to be yes, all yes bit the surreal things. a little yes. bit surreal exactly yes, yes. Yeah. the eye of the storm got it Uh, I think, I think definitely depending on what's in the clouds, if you could get some like stranger things, sort of doom and gloom in the cloud space, that that might, that might actually work. Um, but I do love the idea that while you have headphones and a mask on, that there's some great, amazing, salty, crunchy chips and that there's sand and that there's sun. So remember that uh, friend that there's a little bit of self-care in there, uh, yeah. that I, that I exactly. kind of interpreted from that moment. So, exactly. um, please do uh, get some sunshine and get some sand yeah. in your toes, go get dirty, go get dirty, Dante, go get dirty with the, with the earth. Wow. Um, yes. and, uh, and I think, I think it'll, it'll allow you to, um, to get back into whatever you want to get back into it. You know, um, I'll stand watch while you go rest for a little bit. And then uh, you can come back and then you can stand and watch again if that's what you really want to do. It's what I learned from the movie Stand By Me, I think is, is what I'm trying to, trying to get at. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go now and uh, we will talk again, but it won't be for quite some time. So write down anything that will continue to help your story of Eye of the Storm. Because um, I'm not talking to you again until right before the election around Halloween. Oh my. All righty okay and maybe then i'll ask you about your birthday like because by then like you already had your birthday you already you'll be an older man by then like god you'll you'll, you know like basically but just in case nobody's ever told you this when you have a birthday you're already starting the next year so while you had your birthday that says you've been here for 30 years you're actually already in your 31st year Mm -hmm. yeah so chew on that for a minute and then you'll realize how old you really are (laughs) you've been listening to been there done that your pandemic survival podcast i'm your host felicia perez stay well and stay human